0: I mean, it was almost impossible at the time. And I, I remember uh, you know, being um, in my doctor's office with my parents and deciding whether or not to, to go through it and, and try and save my life. He said, you know, there's a 50% chance that you could walk out of this door and, and live a beautiful life. You can live the next 80 years, but there's also a 50% chance that you can walk out of this door and before you even get to the elevator, you could have that you know, malformation rupture and, and, and bleed and kill you instantly. It, it saved my life.
1: It's great to have you back for another episode of Opportunity Made, where we share practical lessons to break patterns, get unstuck, and find freedom in business and life. I am your host, Katherine Lewis. If you're new with us, in each episode, my incredible guests and I will bring you empowering insights and easy to understand takeaways you can use to transform your life. You'll learn effective ways to grow as a leader, Clear your success blockers and make new opportunities, giving you a life you love. I have a special guest with me, Billy Lister III, a Paralympian cyclist. Billy is a U.S. Olympian in cycling. His first game was in Rio de Janeiro in 2016. He's currently training and competing for Team USA, motivated for Paris 2024. Billy was born and raised in New York and currently lives in Menlo Park, California. Billy, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much for for, for having me today, Catherine. It's an absolute pleasure. And it's good to see your face after 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 uh after not seeing each other for the last few weeks. So thank you so much for having me on the show.
1: Yeah, you bet. It was uh, a life-changing moment to meet you at No Barriers. So for everyone listening, there's an organization called No Barriers. They host a summit every single year where people who are advocates for accessibility or people who have disabilities come to the summit and are able to partake in a bunch of different activities. And I had a little bit of downtime. I was wandering along the halls and through through the campus and didn't know who Billy was, but he just reached out and he said, hey, how's it going? And I was like, wow, this is the most friendly human being on the planet. Like I have to talk to this person and we just connected from there. So it's really good to see you again, Billy.
0: That was, that really was a very, a very uh, poignant moment in the, in the weekend. So all of those sentiments go right back to you in, in that timely, that timely connection and sharing in that moment, just cause that's what so much about no barriers and, and the mindset of no barriers does and what you got to experience that weekend, what, what, what I've been able to experience for the past few years, being involved with them is, is, is through their motto is, is what's within you is stronger than what's in your way. And when you talk about disability and accessibility. I think that it rings true. And so it was really cool to share that moment with you and and with everybody there for for the weekend and got to spend a few days in, in beautiful mountainous Colorado.
1: I love their motto, what is within you is stronger than what's in your way. And that's something that I feel like you holistically embody. So let's dive right into your story. Tell us about being raised in New York and what happened when you were in your adolescent years
0: yeah well so i'll I'll preface the story by saying that i wasn't always like that or or wasn't always like this i didn't always have that mindset and the mentality i think it very much akin to its its message is that it was it was within me but i just never knew it was there for for a very long time and because of that it goes to the the start and the origin of, of of much of my adolescent youth and young adult life just dealing with dealing with dealing with disability and challenges and adversity And that starts when I was just a freshman in high school. Uh, I was 15 years old. And like you mentioned, I was born and raised in New York. And and I'd been an athlete my entire life, my entire childhood. You know, growing up in New York, everything was revolved around team sports. So every single year, all year round was playing soccer and basketball and football and baseball and lacrosse. And, you know, I was very good at it, excelled at it. it. was was doing really well. But it was the spring of my my freshman year in high school and I started getting these really bad headaches after school. Almost almost to the almost to the point of, of migraines, debilitating ones, where I would come home from come home from school and basically almost essentially would almost have to go to, straight to bed, almost not even eat dinner, things like that. And so when I was starting to experience these things, my parents decided to go my parents got me in front of a whole handful of doctors to try and see what was going on, what I was dealing with and and what was it, what I was suffering from. Everything came back negative and they couldn't find anything what was what was wrong with me. And it turned out that my pediatric physician, a guy who I'd seen since I was a tiny little kid, recommended trying to see if I could get an MRI of my sinuses, thinking that I might have just had like just this off-the-charts infection in my sinuses that they just hadn't picked up. And on that scan of my sinuses, on a completely unrelated scan, was when the the doctors and the neurologists actually found an abnormality in my brain that was encroaching on my brainstem. And the reason they found it is just because the proximity of your sinuses to your brainstem, they're just so close when you, when you scan, when you take an MRI of your sinuses, part of your brainstem shows up, right? So pure happenstance, total total luck of, luck of coincidence that that's what, that's what ended up finding on scan. Turns out that the headaches and everything that I was dealing with are not a symptom of, of what I was diagnosed with, which is something called an AVM, which is short for an arterial venous malformation the headaches and everything that I was experiencing, I was just a stressed out high school kid, right? I was just a, I was just an anxious 15 year old kid, right? Playing sports and then coming home and doing homework and everything. And, and, but that was, that's what, that's what was kind of my stroke, my first stroke of luck that got me in the doctors and got me, you know, scanned and and then got me diagnosed. The problem with how, how it, how it appeared was that because of its location and proximity to my brainstem, this abnormality, this brain malformation, there was no surgeon in the entire world that would go in and and operate on it. Just because your brainstem is that's that's your hardware, that's everything. It's like the the it, unless unless you're about to die in that moment and have a serious fatal traumatic injury, it's very difficult for a surgeon to 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 go in and and operate on that part of your body so because of that i ended up undergoing a very unproven and revolutionary procedure this was in the late 1990s so modern medicine isn't what it is today and it's a procedure called the gamma knife surgery it's essentially a radiological procedure that subjects part of your brain uh to gamma to gamma radiation waves in the hopes of killing that very very specific and very hyper focused to the millimeter part of your brain and so that's what I underwent at the age of 16. So it was about a little, a little few months, uh, a little, a little under a year later going through that whole process. And, and so underwent, underwent the surgery, which was a complete and total success. It, it saved my life. And I, I remember being in my doctor's office with, with my parents and deciding whether or not to to go through it and, and try and save my life. And, and the doctor essentially gave my parents a, a scenario, laid out two scenarios and said, you essentially have a 50, 50 shot of whether or not. This abnormality, and malformation, will will rupture and bleed and 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 kill you. He said, "There's a fifty percent chance that you could walk out of this door and and live a beautiful life. You can live the next eighty years, have a get married, have kids, have a perfect job, perfect career, perfect everything, and live a beautiful and happy and loving life. But there's also a fifty percent chance that you can walk out of this door, and before you even get to the elevator, you could you could have that malformation rupture and 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 bleed and kill you instantly. And so that procedure this revolutionary this this very new age procedure was the only thing that was gonna reduce those odds and, and save my life but it did it saved my life it it reduced and eliminated that that 50 50 chance in percent of, of 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 it killing me ending my life uh, but unfortunately just because it was such a a very not well understood procedure and certainly the the side effects and what what it could cause and what it could do to the patients was was not yet well known at that time Uh, i can't claim that i was patient zero for this surgery but i definitely was i think on on one hand the the number of patients that that had been performed this this procedure had been performed on and so roughly about eight months post-op was when i started to experience some some swelling in my brain and that led to a, a very a very slow loss of function on my entire left hand, on my whole left hand side. I immediately started to go into therapy, occupational, physical rehab, and was making a lot of game, was doing really well, even to the point that doctors were giving me a full prognosis of, of recovery and, and and being able to to move my hand and, and my leg and, and my foot. But then several weeks after going through that process was when I suffered my, my stroke, and that's what fully caused my permanent disability. Uh, the amazing thing about my stroke was that it was such a unique, one-of-a-kind event in that it was just after my 17th birthday and I was experiencing a slow and regressive stroke. So every single day, I couldn't do something I could do the day before. The first day I woke up and I remember I couldn't type on a keyboard with my left hand properly. The day after that, I wasn't able to brush my teeth. The day after that, I couldn't open a door or button up a shirt. Eventually, the ability Eventually, lost the ability to walk without assistance. And the, the the really hard and struggling part about that was the doctors were not able to tell me if and when the stroke would stop, just because of how it was manifesting itself and, and how my my brain was essentially giving itself a stroke. Like they couldn't predict how it was gonna how long it was gonna be prolonged for, but. Thankfully, fortunately, after a four-week long period, it did stop and it did it did end its course, but that left me in the full left side neurologically paralyzed state I am currently in till this day. And uh, and so my paralysis is, is fully from, from head to toe.
1: When you say that they couldn't predict how long it would last, when I stereotypically think of a stroke, it's something that, boom, happens and it's done. So for it to be this ongoing thing physiologically, what was happening in the body that it lasts several weeks?
0: It's, the the brain is a fascinating thing. And it's an incredible part of our body. And it's actually so much of who I've become today, sitting here talking with you because of it, right? But what my brain essentially did was, it diagnosed itself that there was this, this malformation abnormality, you know, that I'd been diagnosed with, and then treated, and then eliminated and killed. That there was this this cluster of blood vessels that was very near my brainstem, which, you know, like I said, you know, is 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 the most important part of your of your body, the brain. And so my my own brain basically diagnosed itself and said, "Hey, we don't. We, there's this. There's this cluster of of blood cells and blood vessels that we don't want there anymore. That's not serving a purpose, and, and they're effectively dead. So why don't we just?" take out the trash <laughs> and so and so over over the course of the period as as it was happening what was happening was my brain was removing that AVM that malformation that was no longer a threat to, to rupturing and, and and killing me but was moving it from the inner parts of my brainstem through my cerebellum and then out out to the outer skirts of my cerebral cortex so as it was going through this process and as it was moving and know that's why it became a slow and aggressive process it's Because my brain was effectively giving itself, you know, giving itself a stroke under its own under its own volition.
1: Wow! So you have this procedure. The body says, "Okay, great, let's clean it up." But through the process of cleaning it up, it created a stroke. Correct
0: Uh, for the most part, yeah, for the most part, and that's why I think it's it's one of the luckiest aspects of of my of my medical history. Something that I've, I've come to. Gain an immense appreciation for. I've gained a, a humongous amount of pride in just the uniqueness and the singularity of, of what I dealt with from a medical from a medical history perspective, and that 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 outlook has transformed diametrically over over the years. And it's it's just really interesting, just because I think that's how so much of how I'm able to control a lot of my body, despite my severe and significant disability. That that is really affects me tremendously from a functional perspective. But visually and physiologically speaking, if you were to look at me, like you probably wouldn't even think that I have a permanent disability as, as severe as, as the one that I do. And I think that, so that was one of the greatest, one of the greatest gifts and aspects that I have. It was, it gave me time. It gave me time to learn how to, how to, how to just live with my body as it's changing like in real time, like over a, over a four week long period. So that, that, that duration really did last an almost an entire full month. And so I was almost relearning how to do things as it was happening, right? Versus the way you referenced before, when you can't stroke, most of the time you think about a sudden burst of light, like one second you're walking down the street and then all of a sudden you wake up in an emergency room and you can't move, you can't talk. and And sometimes you can't think, right? That is an extreme, that is extremely common and one of the most known ways of of experiencing a stroke. And and that is in itself, unbelievably impossibly challenging to deal because like you wake up in this brand new body and all of a sudden you got to reteach and relearn Everything from scratch, right? You got to figure out what you lost and then how to get it back, right? It was whereas for me, I was kind of like I was kind of like like one of those balls of, of play doh that's always just kind of morphing like into into a new form. And obviously, like the form that I was morphing into was 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 extremely was extremely regressive and 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 not a positive one, <laughs> but. I was able to I was able to adapt to it as it was happening and I think a lot of that was was given just the amount of neuroplasticity that I was that I was lucky enough to be bestowed with as a result of of what was happening to me neurologically.
1: You're excuse me you're a teenager at that point in time and most teens are immortal invincible like on top of their game especially being an athlete just in terms of academics and relationships and their social life how did this all have an impact on you emotionally and mentally
0: no i mean there's in in, in the unlimited amount way <laughs> like there's there there's no there's no way to describe it in in any other way than than full and total complete altering of of my life from every every inch every every millimeter was 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 changed i from a physical perspective i know because of everything that i was dealing with neurologically i had to go on a lot of medications to try and reverse and or reduce everything that was going on in my head and had to go on some extremely aggressive steroidal medication which obviously changed my appearance physically there's there's still a story an example that i still Remember, like it was, like it happened this morning. Just one of those, like memories that's just like seared not only into your mind and memory, but also like into your soul. To describe just what kind of what kind of change I was undergoing, and that was was because of all the medication that I was on. I ended up putting upwards of around seventy pounds of gained weight in that month period. So in just a four week long period, I went from skinny athletic fit kid to gaining to putting on 70 pounds of, uh, you know, of mass. And it was my, so it was my sophomore year of, of high school. And I was, I, I, so I'd got, I, I never really stopped going to school just because a lot of the timing and everything that happened happened a lot during the summer. So I never really was out of school. So a lot, most, most, most of my high school mates and teachers and professors never they didn't really know everything that was going on with me from a, from a medical perspective, because Went away for the summer and then showed up like a couple months later, just totally different. And so it was in the first the first day of school, and I went into I went into my science class, and it actually was the same exact teacher was teaching this. I think it was chemistry class that a teacher taught my prior science class it was like earth and sciences or something like that, right? And so start class off, and I was sitting in the in the front row or the second row or something like that, and and she was doing a roll call, and so she calls out and going through the names, and she calls out Billy Lister. And so I raised my hand and I said, I'm here. And she goes and she looks at me and looks at her name. She looks at me again, like looks at me like visually, like sitting in a seat and says, do you have do you have another do you have a brother named Billy? Like she's like, I used to teach. I used to teach another Billy Lister like last year. She goes, is that related to you? Is that is that you? Related? Is, is do you know that person? And I just look at her. I go, I mean, Miss Martin, I go, no, it's it, it's me it's Billy. Like, and she just, and that was the realization where she just was just like, oh, okay. (laughs) It was uh, a very, a very, very emotional and hard and scarring thing for me to deal with at the moment, because that was, that was kind of like the first time where I realized I was no longer myself. I know I was no longer who I was, right. Let alone everything that was going on internally, like from an emotional and, and, and mental perspective. And not even like from the fact that I lost like the ability to, to use like one side of my body. Like I just like, I couldn't button up a shirt. I couldn't, I couldn't tie my shoes any longer. Like even like those things from just like, from just like an appearance perspective, that was the first time where like, I knew that I no longer was who, who I'd been, right? Like that, that athletic kid grown up, right? That, that, that persona, that, that, that everything that really had defined who I was and how I defined myself. for for most of my earlier earlier childhood and so it was really hard to to deal with a lot of those i mean it was it was it wasn't hard to deal with it in the moment because i didn't know i i I had no concept of 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 easy moderate or hard even in the moment just because it's so much just trying to find where where you fit in in life and really ultimately just trying to find how to survive right that was one of the hardest things is coming to that realization not just physically and emotionally and mentally but you know how to how do you how do you really just survive how do you how do you make it through how do you make it through the year how do you make it through high school how do you graduate from high school how do you then go on to to college and 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 life beyond that and so i hadn't even gotten to those points yet it was always very much like in the moment one foot in front of the other just trying to figure figure it out but it was it was it I mean, it was almost impossible at the time because I, I had shielded myself and I blinded myself from from the reality of my life and and what what I was what I was undertaking and what I was overcoming.
1: How did you handle that difference in who you were versus who you had become after that summer from a social perspective? Because I would imagine, well, and I just know from personal experience, when you're young, so much of your identity is tied to your social ranking, appearances, those kinds of things, and to realize that you now look differently, your athletic body is different. Did you experience bullying? Did you experience a change in friendships? What did that look like?
0: I never had any negative experiences around around my 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 new my my new life, my my life with a disability. And I think yeah, you know, I'm extremely lucky in, in so many respects, I'm the luckiest kid in the world, but also that I grew up in a very small town on the North shore of Long Island. And it was a very, a very, very small community, a very tight knit community. And it was something that never, never really, never had any sort of negative connotation around it. I was never, I was never bullied. I was never isolated. I was never made fun of. I was always really I was always really included in in every in every way possible. That even includes still participating in sports and on the athletic teams, even after my paralysis and after my disability. Was so much was was rooted in inclusivity and keeping me engaged and 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 included. Whether that was being like one of the managers on the team that would just kind of help around like with the logistics and stuff. Whether that was. Serving as a, an inspiration of hope for other students and being recognized for that, like within my high school and within my my community, and just really building me up and supporting me in, in so many ways. But that was the external part. The internal was totally different. The internal was was me running away from that as far as I possibly humanly could. Was The internal was me digging the deepest hole I possibly physically could and hiding it, finding the darkest corner in the farthest room removed from everything and 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 hiding there, right? Because I didn't want anybody to see my body. I didn't want anybody to see who I was. I just wanted to hide from the world. I wanted to hide from my friends. I wanted to hide from my family. I wanted to hide from my community. So socially, that was something where I definitely put myself on an island. And that's some, something that I I think really kind of set my set off my struggles that would that I would continue to 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 beleaguer me for for the following the next preceding 12 years 11 12 years and was was I think that that was the harder part is because I I made it a lot harder on myself and than 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 it probably otherwise would have been just given the support and love that I had for my family and community
1: yeah there is a stark contrast between how you were included which not everybody experiences so i'm really glad that you did and then that inner desire to run away and to hide was there anger there was there like what were some of the emotions you were feeling within that made it a more negative internal experience
0: i would say the the number one emotion that i that invaded my life you know, back then and really became so much of, 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 of who I was, was hatred and hatred for hatred, for what had happened to me, hatred for, and not just for what had happened, but how it happened, when it happened, hatred for the body that I was living in, hatred for the life that I was going to have to figure out for forevermore. And and I think in that is also like a part of like a denial complex that I developed as well, right? Is I was always trying to not just hide my disability, but make it completely invisible, right? So when I kind of walk around with a limp or like when I'm walking around, my arm might stick out or or look just not like by my side. And I would always make sure that that was hidden from plain sight all the time. And so that kind of just became, became me in my, my, my normal was always just to, was always, always just to hide because I wanted to hide what I, what, what I hated and, and really what I feared. And that was that, that, that was really kind of what made up most of most of my emotions throughout most of my, really from through, through my late teens and the entirety of my, of my twenties up until I was almost 30 years old was really characterized by those by those feelings of, 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 of hatred and fear and uncertainty and just, just regular, just just scared of scared of who I was and what I was becoming.
1: That is such a large chunk of life. What, 10, maybe 15 years? I don't know how many, but that's a long time to sit in hatred and to sit in fear. And it's kind of, I'm envisioning like a little bit of a black cloud. Could you let us in and see what that looked like?
0: The interesting thing is that not only from a durational perspective of how long it lasted, at least personally for me, but at the stage of development when it happened, right, is from a child development and adolescent development and an adult development behavior perspective. Our, our formidable years, especially for, for, for men, really are in that in that prime range, late teens until like you're around like 30 years old or so, like maybe, maybe mid thirties or so. And so so those like those are those are those are like your, your your prime your your that's your prime time of life, right? And dealing with a complete uh transformation to myself and to my body and to my ethos and to my soul and to everything about me was 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 i mean was was, was almost impossible to, to to deal with and that's kind of how that's kind of how it really just snowballed so much for me just from uh, a denial perspective is once yeah, i i tend to have an obsessive uh personality going back all the way to childhood i think it's also why i've become such a very good athlete is because i like to really just get focused on one thing and then just just dig deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into it. And so when on the inside, when I really first started letting a lot, when I first allowed my life just to just organically and naturally under no auspices at all, just kind of turn to that darkness and turn to that very fearful and hatred and, and negative lifestyle and way of thinking and thought and living. It was it was almost impossible for me to correct course and and to and to think of it otherwise, and I think a lot of that is actually rooted in the fact that superficially and externally, my life was was a success, right? And I was so I never I never missed any high school. So going through my entire my entire disability medical history like background, I never missed any school. I graduated from high school on time. I was accepted into a pretty, a very competitive and and almost elite level university to go to college at Lehigh University in Pennsylvania. Went completely on time, never missed anything, went straight from high school, straight to to Lehigh. I graduated in four years at college, so graduated on time, did everything. And then once I graduated from college, I moved right to New York City. I moved right down to Wall Street and, and got a job in Manhattan and was a commodity trader for the better part of a decade all while going through everything that we're talking about right now is all that's what my life was that's what i was doing with my life right and so again externally looking at it and like looking from like a thirty thousand foot or even like a a five thousand foot perspective like it looked very happy it looked fulfilled it looked purposeful i was i was successful in a career i had a lot of friends i was doing a lot of things and but that was the backdrop right that was that was not actually what was like happening like inside and and the, the inside the bubble and the inside the 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 sphere was were all those other emotions that I was just describing. All of those things that just just would get deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, and, deeper and, darker and darker and darker and darker and darker. And it was it was a real struggle because as as I was living in New York City as in my twenties, it got very easy to to find outlets for a lot of that that fear and hatred and and of myself and of my body and of my life and so it was very easy to find things to use as coping mechanisms and that was an extremely extremely abusive time in my life as well just because it was it was just it was it was the easy thing to do there's so much so much of what I had as a part of my life earlier was it was always rooted in in difficulty and challenge and hardships but I always chose the easiest, the easiest thing that just came natural. And that, that was, I think, what kind of got me into some trouble, but also taught me so much about, about taking, the easy, taking the easy route and, and choosing to do, to, to do the hard thing.
1: I can imagine that we all have people in our lives who, if we look at their life, it's beautiful. It's successful. It looks fulfilling. Maybe we even put them up on a pedestal. Those are the people we want to be. And inside it's a different story because we're all humans, right? And we all feel a whole range of things. No one has a perfect day every day. What advice would you give to other people who let's say if they are putting people on a pedestal rather than really understanding who those people are, how can we reach out to people and understand their full life?
0: I don't know. I don't know if you can reach out. I, I think I think so much is rooted in relatability and candor and like trying trying to find an answer through reaching out or or trying to find solace through reaching out, I think might might not get you what you want, but acting with an attitude of relatable candor is something that achieves that in in a tremendous way. And that's just through your actions. It doesn't always have to be through your words, right? And it can be, it can be found through that perspective, right? And we started off, we started off this amazing show by talking about a mindset, right? A a different mindset. We were, were talking about the no barriers mindset of what's within you is stronger than what's in your way. And that's one mindset, right? But but having the perspective of the mindset that there, there's all different types of mindsets out there, right? There's an unlimited amount, right? And and just because one works for somebody doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to work for everybody, and and vice versa. And so there's, I think I think the perspective of dealing with with those hardships and and dealing with that 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 knowledge that that there is that there always has the potential just to change the lens that you're viewing life through, right? That it it can be really really beneficial to take the glasses and the lens that you're looking at life through and just flip them upside down, just do 180 degree turn, and just start looking at life in a different perspective and a different lens. And oftentimes she's just speaking for personal experience that can open up a lot of doors and windows to then explore, right? To then walk through a couple of doors and, and and jump through a couple of windows, and and once you do that, then that can provide a lot of a lot of answers and 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 just the, some more more purpose
1: did someone reach out to you and use that candor to connect with you and this other darker side or do you wish that someone would have
0: nobody reached out to me nobody connected to me i i I like to i like to kind of say that i didn't i thought i was i was convinced i can i mean I, i convinced myself that i was the only person with a disability on the planet really up until I was about like 30 years old <laughs> that, yeah, obviously I knew there were other people with disabilities like in the world, but I convinced myself of the reality that I was the only person, you know, suffering. and so there's, there's, so there's, there's that aspect of, 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 of the challenge that, that I certainly imposed on myself, but I'm not sure exactly how, how that translates to, to, to other individuals trying to Trying to find, trying to find that answer or trying to find that guidance, because nobody—I didn't have a person to connect with me and to tell me and to reach to me and say, "Hey, listen, this is this is what you need to do. This is how you can find it." For me, it really was—I mean, the first organization that opened up my eyes was No Barriers, was was Eric Weinmeier, and but I I I just by happenstance found them and heard about their summit that they were having down in Florida, and. Reached out and went down to them and saw them, and that was that was my light switch. That was my eye-opening experience personally. Um, and then ever since then, then it's been a lot of reaching out. But up until that moment, it was it was it really was devoid of of, of acknowledging my my life, acknowledging my disability, and and even would I would I've said hello? If somebody actually even did reach out. Now I don't know. I don't think so.
1: So you're moving through life you're in this place of denial, you're almost operating in two different worlds where you've got on paper, all of this success, you're experiencing it in in what we'll call the daytime. And then you've got this other internal side of you, right? Trying to work through some of that hatred. If you stay in that consistent state, you would have never been open to no barriers. And you mentioned that no barriers was the light switch. So something had to have been shifting within you and evolving, even if it was a little bit just to open up the doors. Do you know what that was and what was prompting that to happen?
0: It's such an interesting thought. And I think I'm thinking about it for the first time right now. (laughs) So I don't necessarily have an answer to that, but let's think about it, right? That It's how can you, how can you, how can you, hindsight's obviously 2020, 20, right? So how do you, how do you look back and say, what was, what was the marker? What was, what was the beacon? Where, where was the lighthouse or something? The, the, the glimmer of a light or the tiny little spark, like, how do you, how do you identify that? How do you find that? How do you see that to see like, Hey, that was like, that was the early spark, right? Because for me, and I think a lot of, and maybe this goes for a lot of people, maybe for you as well. But I was always very much just putting one foot in front of the other, right? Just always just always just kind of moving forward, right? I I never never wanted to. I was so convinced that I never wanted this life that I that I hated and that I despised and that was was not fulfilling and not purposeful. I never wanted it to get in my way, right? I never wanted to impede me to stop me. So that was always why I just ignored it, right? Because I always just moved forward and I think that's just such a part of my personality and my driven motivation, right? So how do you, how do you identify that with all the noise in the background and with everything you're just always moving forward? But then how do you find that one, how do you identify that one spark? I don't
1: know. Right. Okay. So what I'm hearing you say is at that point in time, as we mentioned before, things are going well. You have these feelings of hatred and denial, but it sounds like you're actually ignoring them. You're not allowing yourself to feel them. And instead, they're still there. They're still having an impact on you. So you're turning to other coping mechanisms to get through those emotions. So that way, you can go back to work the next day and still succeed and thrive without having those emotions impede you. Is that an accurate description?
0: Yeah, very much so. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. So it's it's hard to it's hard to pinpoint on on like a time where things started to bubble up and I started to create some more awareness that I wanted more. I think it was a very organic and natural thing that just that just that just that just unfolded on its own where I just heard about something really cool and was like, well I, I don't know what I can do within that and but you know why not why not go check it out and see and, and see 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 what see what it entails. I think I was lucky too, because from the no barriers perspective that time they were holding down a summit down in Florida. And I used to go down to Florida to visit my grandparents like every single year. And I had some friends and family down there. So it was like a really easy thing for me to, to get outside of my comfort zone and to kind of take really like that was the first, what feels like the first risk that I ever took. And the, I guess the the first risk of my new life, of a new life that I created for myself. And that was kind of the, the first time where I got outside of my Outside of not just my comfort zone, but just outside of my world, outside of my head, outside of everything, where it's really just trying to just coming to that realization that, that there is that there is and was more out there.
1: What happened at that first No Barriers? Because I doubt when you found it online and booked your ticket, you knew it was going to be as impactful as it was. So over the course of that summit, how did you change
0: I mean, it's it's kind of, it's 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 pretty it's pretty awesome. It's it's incredible in the sense that before I went there, I didn't even know that disabled and adaptive sports existed. I didn't even know it was a thing. So I, I, I kind of like had an idea like that it was a, a summit for for individuals with disabilities to kind of find experiential experiential experiences and and but I didn't know anything about like the adaptive nature of 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 the activities that they were that they were doing and so it was the first it was the first night of of the weekend and of the week and all of a sudden i find myself like learning and hearing about all these adapted and disabled sports you can try like you can try we were in Florida, so we were on the water. So you could try sailing, you could try scuba diving, you could try adaptive kayaking, all these different types of things that, that I used to do as a kid, right? So like I used to sail when I was a kid, like, you know, just going out on the Long Island Sound, you know, just growing up on the water and stuff. And, and so that was something that was taken away from me, you know, from my disability, my stroke, that I never even thought that I could ever do again. And let alone like the, like the identifying mark of like team sports that like was always like about me, like playing soccer again, like playing basketball again like in, in my own way, and, and, but so many different other activities and just, and just things that you can do, just movement, right? Just, just getting the awareness and clarity that like my body can still move, right? That I still, I still was, still was and am the child and the kid that I was before my stroke and before my disability. And before I I, I adopted a life that really wasn't who I am and 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 what I want to be, and so that 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 clarity and that awareness was something that was what flipped the switch on, flipped the light switch on for me. Right? Was it was it was instantaneous in the same time that it took an eternity for it to happen. In in in, in the way that I felt like I knew everything, but that it was going to take me the rest of my lifetime to to learn it. Feeling, which was. Which was really, which was really interesting because it didn't happen right away. It took it took some time, um, but what I learned through that weekend was that I had closed off myself and my life from from feeling, from emotions, from everything. Right, like I literally created like that bubble around, like that force field around me. Right, and so that weekend at No Barriers at that summit was was the spark that opened up the hole in that in that bubble for the first time, and really then evolve from that moment to then going from completely letting nothing in into my world to then going the com- absolute polar opposite end of the spectrum to letting everything in all of the time.
1: <laughs> so now you realize that there's a thing called adaptive sports, and maybe you can go back and do some of the activities that you used to do and love to do, you've mentioned sailing i haven't heard cycling yet so where does cycling come in
0: it took a couple years for me to find cycling so it was so the no barrier summit uh in florida was in 2009 and so that was like that was my that was my catalyst that was my my transformational moment and so for the next couple years i participated in some some disabled wheelchair sports. I was playing like sled hockey for the for the New York Rangers sled hockey team and was just kind of more like community kind of based sports. I was never very good at any of them and never really took too much. It was more about just engagement and just got meeting people and then just trying new things out. But then in 2011, I was invited by the Challenged Athletes Foundation, which is another organization that is helps individuals with disabilities get back in sport. They're based in San Diego. I was still living in New York at the time. And they invited me out to, i gotten connected through to the Child's Athletes Foundation and they invited me out to a triathlon camp, paratriathlon camp in San Diego and said, why don't you come out and we'll, we'd love for you to be part of a part of the camp and, and, and come participate. And I, I replied back to them, to their message and said, guys, this is awesome. This is super cool. Thank you so much. I'd love to participate, but I don't know how to swim. I didn't own a bicycle, let alone even know how to ride one. I didn't even own a bicycle. And I didn't know that I still had the ability to run or not. And those are, at least at the time, I was quantifying those as pretty pretty imperative things to to participate in a triathlon. And the amazing thing about the Challenge Athletes Foundation was they're very, very, very similar to, to No Barriers. And their response was, that yeah, it doesn't matter. Like, here's your plane ticket. We got your hotel. Come on out. We'll figure it all out when you get here. Like don't worry about a thing, and so that was that was my first trip to, to San Diego with with CAF, and that weekend was when I got on a bicycle for the very first time since my disability. So that was in 2011. So I was thir- I was 30 years old. So it had been 13 years since my disability, 12 years since my disability, and I was this I was this middle aged man who had this amazing father-son moment with one of the directors of programs at the Challenge Athletes Foundation. And we what happened was we just gone through a couple of days of, of the of the clinic and the camp. And are just doing all sorts of different things. And and some of the athletes i gone out for rides and stuff, but I didn't know how to ride a bicycle. So I couldn't get on safely on the roads and stuff. And so it was the last day of the camp and and we went we went around back in the parking lot of of CIF and just just like a, a father would hold his son's his son's saddle like as he's riding for the very first time and like walking and running with me and uh, this this amazing individual uh, and uh, held held my bike and held my held my saddle as i as i rolled around the parking lot for for the very first time and and i'll i'll, I'll remember it i still can hear the words like ringing through my head like even right now where all of a sudden i hear this gentleman his name is Roy who's helping me he just goes so we kind of turn the first corner and then as we're coming around turn in the second corner and it wasn't going fast obviously it's going super slow but but fast enough that he wasn't able to keep up like running right and so all of a sudden i hear him just say billy you're riding all by yourself and all of a sudden like that was just like the wave of just emotions and awareness and clarity and everything that just all happened all at once like it was the it was the meeting of a of a tornado and a volcano um, all, all in one. And, and then a tsunami comes on top of all that. Right. And, and so it was, it was, it was amazing because that was like the freeing feeling of independence that, that I'd never had before. Right. Like that was the, the No Barrier Summit in 2009 was kind of that first like flip of a switch and like awareness to realize that I still could be who I was, the kid who I was. And, and that there was all this, there was all this light and, and incredibleness in the world that I, that I was shielded, that I was shielding myself from. getting on a bike for the first time that moment that action that that independence that feeling of freedom was was something that i mean that's really what what really changed my life and put me on the trajectory that that i've been running with ever since that was kind of like the proof of concept that it was the it was the it was the opportunity for me to to take this awareness and clarity and, and new mindset and put it into practice and principle and obviously very shortly Immediately thereafter, I also was then feeling the watershed of emotions on, oh man, like I don't know how to ride a bicycle. How do I stop a bicycle? (laughs) And so, and so that was, so there was a couple little nuances also that were, that I had to figure out very much on the fly. But, but that's, but that's where it all started. That was, that was the, that was, that was, that was the first, that was the first moment. I did, I did, I did multiple. So after that, I was then committed to committed myself to teaching myself how to ride a bicycle, how to relearn how to ride a bike. I was living in New York City still at the time, and so what I would do is I would just go to Central Park, in the middle of Central Park, right? You no, know, just the iconic the iconic park, and would just go to the grassy areas and and just teach myself how to balance on a bike and teach myself how to how to push off and, and clip in and, and pedal and to move, and and very much the proverbially to the adage you. fall down a hundred times and we got to get up 101 times. That was definitively me when I was first learning how to ride a bike and start. So I started participating in some triathlons. I was never very good just because I can't run very well. I'm just a very slow runner, but I was doing them more for accomplishment, more from like a sense of purpose, more, I wasn't fast. I wasn't competitive. I wasn't even trying to be competitive. I was just trying to get that, that sense of finished accomplished. Accomplishment and to, to cross that finish line to, to have that 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 achievement that 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 sense of competition and and movement and motion and so one of my one of my very actually my my first triathlon because I was not able to ride a bike on my own I, I didn't know how to I couldn't balance mine I couldn't I couldn't ride a bike on my own I actually rode a tandem bicycle and had a friend of mine who who was also used to race triathlons had piloted me on the front because I couldn't balance a bike on my own. And so obviously tandems are are very much respected and and used in in triathlon for athletes with visual impairments and and sight issues. And so for me, having like complete my complete vision, competing in a on on a tandem was was a different experience. But I think that just goes to show just how I think that like how my life and mindset and lifestyle, everything shifting because. It was okay. I don't know how to ride a bike. What, how else can I complete this race? How else can I complete this triathlon? How else can I, how can I accomplish this goal and this thing that I want to, that I want to do? Right. And, and not let something as, as trivial and silly as, as not knowing how to participate in one of the dis- disciplines of the sport, how, how can I get around that and, and still achieve it and accomplish it? And so that, that, took a couple of years. I eventually learned how to, how to ride a bicycle and then started competing in triathlons for a little while longer. But that was before I I started, I I found cycling from a full dedicated perspective. And that was about two years later, 2013.
1: I love this story because it comes full circle. Someone helped you ride a tandem bike. And as we were just talking offline, you were helping Eric Weinmayer, the first blind man to climb Everest, ride a tandem bike. How freaking cool is that?
0: Very, very, very meaningful and very, very important. Um, And even more so emotionally critical that it was with eric on eric's tandem bike and trying to learn how to how to ride and handle one of those one of those bicycles with with another individual on the back and was extremely almost 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 two or three full circles right (laughs) having the first full circle of of having that chance with eric who really i can credit as the individual who, who created this mindset and created this life that i live now and then also to do it just from like the athletic and physical perspective, full circle. Me being a uh, Stoker myself one time, now being a pilot myself one time. Yeah, it's it's really cool. It's really, really, really neat.
1: That's such a big
0: jump. Uh, a massive, giant jump, a meteoric, a meteoric jump. <laughs> it is kind of just so much of so much of what my uh so much of what I've come to love um is just getting myself in way and open my head. Um, in that, jumping into the water um, only to realize that I don't know how to swim and that it's infested with sharks—that is kind of that is that is, just, that is just what I what I've come to learn to love. And so it was, it was in the beginning of 2014 that I entered my very first Paralympic cycling race, and it was through just through just friends of friends that said, "Hey, there's a very casual, low-level Paralympic cycling." race in San Diego and Chula Vista and why don't, why don't you come out and see what it's about and, and try it out and see what you like and, and, and what happens, right? And so I did. So I joined, joined and went raced and, and I did really well. I didn't win, but I came close enough to the, to the guy who did win that I was immediately identified and put on the radar for, for US Paralympic cycling. And within, within 10 months, maybe less from that was when I got offered a spot in the residency program at the olympic training center in colorado springs and decided to give up everything that i had amassed and built up in my life which included at that time i was living in southern california i moved to orange county california for work i was running the the west coast operations of of my company and business operations and and was doing extremely extremely well and and successful financially and career-wise and everything was everything was 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 set for for a future of, of of success and stability, but I decided to to give all that up. So I sold sold my condo on the beach, sold every possession that I owned in in, Hun- in Huntington Beach in Orange County, packed up my entire car, everything that I could possibly fit inside of it, and drove to Colorado Springs and and risk risk everything, risk everything that I had, everything that I owned, and everything that I wanted to go chase the dream of possibly becoming a United States Paralympian without really ever fully understanding what it actually meant to become a United States Paralympic. And so that was so that was kind of the 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 fast forward moment for me. And it was when I moved to Colorado Springs on January of twenty fifteen, it was kind of viewed as myself as an eighteen month push between then and the summer of two thousand sixteen when trials would be for the two thousand sixteen Rio de Janeiro Paralympic Games. And so really before before I really Knew it. I was on this. It was just on this path and this 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 journey without ever really thinking. I mean, doing a lot of reflection and, and thought throughout, but without ever really knowing just the magnitude of, of what I was embarking on. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I I I could never see myself working, sitting at a desk for for eight to ten hours every single day ever again. <laughs> it was. It, it was it, I think that was that that decision was really what showed me that I had the ability to to commit to anything to see it through and to to show that that not only from the mindset perspective of of having that that awareness and that clarity in in that that different viewpoint. But but also starting to learn how, how much I had to give inside of me, right? Like how, how empty was the tank, and how much could I fill it up, right? Because when I went there, like my tank was empty, right? And it was empty from uh, purpose and fulfillment and every aspect of, of, of life. And so it was, how much can, how much can you put in? like what's, what's the top, what's the limit? And I didn't know. I didn't I didn't I wasn't even asking myself these questions at the time. I have come to ask these questions afterwards. But it was but that that's really what it was 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 the finding of myself, was to say, okay, like how do you how do you really truly find yourself in in some of the greatest moments of sacrifice and 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 desire that you have, right? Whatever the circumstances and backgrounds and and experiences are that that got you to that point. And so I would never, i would never, I would never regret it because I, it was the greatest decision I've ever made. It was, it was the greatest thing that, that I've ever that I've ever committed to and, and been a part of. I'm a part of.
1: You mentioned not feeling fulfilled before, and then not at the time, but afterwards, starting to ask these questions and answer some of these questions around fulfillment and purpose. People of all ages are constantly trying to figure out how to become fulfilled and how to add meaning to their life. What was that process like for you? How did that get initiated? And is there any recommendation you would give to other people who are trying to answer these questions?
0: Well, I'll, I'll, I'll answer that first by taking the, the latter part of, of your thought in that I don't know how, how I can recommend that just because I think it is such a fluid and ever evolving thing in each one of our lives. Because now, or interestingly enough, I find myself now having feelings of, of less fulfillment than, than when I than when I, was, I had become an athlete for the first time. And I think we all in life just go through these, these progressions and, and, and evolutions where we become fulfilled in, in what we're pursuing and, and what we're, what we're desiring and, and going and motivated for. And, and if you're lucky enough to accomplish that and become fulfilled, well then how do you how do you, how, do you, how do you how do you transform that again right how how do you how do you find a different fulfillment not necessarily more fulfillment but but a different fulfillment and that's for me what i found was it's amazing how when i became an athlete and decided to become an athlete and did everything that i possibly could in my powers to eat sleep and breathe like an athlete and and and, and do that it's amazing how once I accomplished that, and once I became an athlete, and then once, I, once then I achieved the, the pinnacle of athletic success, going to going my, my greatest performance at Paralympic Trials in 2016, was when I entered as, as, as the completely unknown dark horse rider that nobody knew about, nobody cared about, because I was so new, I was so young, I was so green. But I went in and I won that race, and that was what automatically qualified me for the 2016 Rio Games. And so that, so you, so you consider that like fulfilled, right? But the interesting thing is that over, over the years and after that, like for, for several years after, after the games in, in Rio was, it's amazing how as an athlete, you can push yourself physically every single day and you always strive to be a better version of yourself than you were before. It's just rooted and it's just rooted in, in, in athleticism and, and goal oriented, goal oriented training. But it's also really fascinating how you can push yourself to the limits and even push yourself mentally and emotionally, but always for the purpose of greater performance within sport. But you never really, as within within the realm of athletics and sport, you never, very rarely do you get the chance to expand your, your intellect and your knowledge and, and your driving force of, of challenging from... Just from 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 a cognitive perspective, and that was something that I learned. Just leaving leaving the fast paced life of, of of New York City and Wall Street and commodities trading, um, and the, the financial world, and then going to becoming an athlete. And after achieving that and accomplishing that and, and being fulfilled within that and having that purpose, that all, invariably, like I started having some some remiss of of what of what other things that I didn't also have in my life from a fulfillment perspective. And so I think that that that's kind of those are things that have changed for me. And so it's it's hard to say how to give advice on where to find that fulfillment, just because I mean I I'd, lo- I'd love to get advice myself from somebody on on how to how to how to regain how to, how to regain more additional or or different fulfillment, right? You know, because I think we're always we're always kind of filling our buckets, but emptying those buckets at the same exact time to to put other other things inside of it. And for you, it was a a realization that fulfillment isn't everything, and that fulfillment isn't what you should strive for, and that it's it's more about it's more about like the opportunity that you can take advantage of, rather than what, at least for me, what that what that fulfillment and what the outcome can provide. And I think there's I have the fortunate ability of having a lot of really really good coaches in my life. And some of the best coaches have always focused on the process rather than the than the outcome. And as long as you're as long as you're happy and fulfilled with the process of getting to where you're going, you should always be happy with the outcome and, and with the and what happens. And so that's certainly something that I kind of relied on as 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 I then flowed from from feelings of being completely fulfilled on the top of the world from an athletic accomplishment perspective to to then re- retooling and, and refocusing and saying, okay, like what what else is there that can fulfill me in the same way, but from a different from a different from a different angle.
1: As much as anxiety or emotional turmoil may be caused from having fulfillment and then having that drop in fulfillment and needing to find a different kind, I love that life works out that way because if you just found fulfillment and you're done. Then, then what? Like you're not going to progress. You're not going to improve. You're not going to try new things. We'd be so stuck, so stagnant. And so I love that it, there's this ebb and flow, even though sometimes it can be a little bit anxiety-producing.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And i've 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 come to i've come to to live in 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 the hard in the hard parts of life, and I put myself there, and then also enjoy it there, uh, just because I. I I think I, I think I said I said this I might have said this earlier. But so much of my so much of my young adult life was 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 rooted in making the easy choices and doing the easy things, right? The thing that just that just came natural for me. Obviously, those were you know detrimental to my health and well being and, and mental capacity. But those were the those those were the easy choices. Those were the easy things to do. It's really hard to to make the hard choices, right? To to do things that are challenging and difficult, right? You know, but a lot of times kind of accepting and absorbing that, you know, that that hardness of life you know, it, is really where you can you can find continual fulfillment that's ever, ever evolving in, in its absorption, right? Because if you're always continuously finding, seeking, seeking that, that that hardness, that hardship you know, then could it could it could continuously help you to to remain fulfilled.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, I don't either. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I think that's like a perpetual question that every human being probably asks. And it's only over time that we can look back and say, oh, I did figure it out, or this is why I wasn't able to figure it out. So it's a good question and we can leave it just kind of lingering in the air. But Billy, I want to talk a little bit more about the logistical details of becoming a Paralympian. First of all, do you use both legs when you're cycling?
0: I do. I use, I use both legs, but in a very, very disparate balanced way. So I can produce roughly around, I, I produce roughly around 80% of the power that I, that propels my bike forward and moves me forward at speed with my right leg. So while my left leg is able to function and, and move in a circular pattern throughout the pedal stroke, there's very little muscle engagement that, that, that happens. Thankfully, because my disability is very extremity-based, and what I mean by that is that the farther you go out on each of my extremities, both arm, left arm, and left leg, the worse my paralysis gets. So my shoulder, my left shoulder, my left core, glutes, and quads have some function, some muscle firing, but the farther you go out on my left fingers and my left toes, it's 100% zero function. And so I'm able to move my left leg through the pedal stroke, but it doesn't provide that much force, doesn't generate that much force. And so, roughly around 80% of my speed and power is is produced all with my right leg.
1: Okay. So, interesting question. Is the right quad bigger than the left quad? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, when I think it's like the difference between like Earth and Pluto, right? Okay, when I think about the Olympics, I think if you don't become an Olympian by say twenty four, twenty five, you're done for. Career is over. That's not proving true with you, and so I, I'm seeing that that is a stereotype. Is there actually an age limit for the Olympics, or it's purely performance?
0: It's purely performance. There's there's an amazing act called the Ted Stevens Act that was that was named for for the for the senator from Alaska who put it forward. In that it gives every every American, regardless of age, gender, background, experience, race, ethnicity, anything, it gives every American the opportunity to compete on a level playing field to become a United States Olympian Olympian or Paralympian. And so there is no absolute no limitations on who is able to become an Olympian or Paralympian from an eligibility and requirement perspective, I think other than just like the citizenship. But obviously from a performance perspective, ages can vary widely, especially between like Olympic versus Paralympic. If you take just like siloed like each one, like you're not going to get a gymnast, an Olympic gymnast over the age of 22 or 23 years old, right? It just, it just doesn't happen, right? It's just, there's, there's going to be younger, going to be younger kids who can fly through the air a lot better than the older ones. Um, but then you, you, you can get other sports like, like, like competitive sailing or, or things like that, or rock climbing, where it's pretty, it's pretty normal to have an athlete, like in their, in their late twenties, early thirties, be at the peak and they're the crux of their career. It's also very different on the Paralympic side, just because of disability, it tends to muddy the, the success ranges of, of the athletes just because disability is, is, is acquired in, in, in unlimited amount of points and at an unlimited amount of times throughout your life. Right. And so there, I mean, it's, it's very plausible for an individual, Who's in their fifties to still be competitive and successful and winning at the at, on the Paralympic stage? So you get very older athletes on the Paraly- in the in the in the Paralympic arena, mostly just from like a life circumstance perspective. Is so much of it is how they acquired their disability, when they acquired it, and 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 how that kind of affects their their, their age and and, and everything. Uh, I mean, because it, it it can it can just vary vary in a in a huge in a huge way.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. You just have a lot more variables and it's not the same, quote unquote, normal, able body. There's just so much more disparity in the capabilities. So you're going to get different disparities in the ages as well, right?
0: Yeah. Well, and if you think about it too, it's also like years in sport, right? So like take like an Olympic swimmer, right? Like They probably got in the pool when they were two years old, three years old, right? So they've been swimming for for 20 years of their life right and so that that's all they know and that, you know that is their that is their life and that is their competitive sport right on a paralympic side like I got on a bike for the first time in 2011 right so I've only been in sport for for a little over 10 years right it started when I was 30 years old but I've only been in sport for 10 years right so there's there's also that comparison from like not just like an age and demographic perspective but also like also, like experience, a number of years of experience and, and in sport, because the longer you're in sport, the harder the pull that it takes, and then the harder that it is to, to stay on the top and to remain committed and to sacrifice everything. That's really what it takes for an Olympian, for an athlete to become a member of Team USA, to become an Olympian, Olympian or Paralympian. It's, it's, I mean, it takes a, a tremendous amount of sacrifice from a social perspective, from a financial perspective. All to all for the chance to represent the United States of America, right? And so, so there's a lot of ex- external circumstances that also go into it, other than just like just age and and physicality, right? It's just consistency so much too.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. You are now training for Paris 2024. Are you excited? What What is that process like? Yeah,
0: uh, I'm. I'm excited. I'm excited for its uncertainty. I would say that. I did not participate. I, I did not compete in the two thousand in the, the postponed 2021 Tokyo Paralympic Games. So much for me throughout the the last quad. I'm going into Tokyo was was changed just like billions of other people on the planet when the COVID pandemic came around. That my life just. Just life just took me in a little bit of a different direction through through those couple of years and took my focus away. It never took my love and passion and desire and and commitment to sport and commitment to 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 the Tokyo Paralympics, but just took my focus away from it for for a little while, and that unfortunately had had effects on on my ability to to qualify and and compete in the in the Tokyo games. And so it is uh, extremely exciting now to kind of come out of that and retool for my and then refocus myself for for the Paris for the Paris games and to have like a full, you know, all but abridged, full quad of four years to really build up what what I feel is going to be needed to get onto the Paris, onto the Paris team in 2024. And it's it's it just because it's just so hellaciously impossible and difficult. To make the team, to qualify, and to become a Paralympian, Olympian, or Paralympian, and it's but but I'm resting in the knowledge and excitement that I know what it's going to take to get there. We'll just have to see whether or not I got what it takes to get there.
1: What is it like to be at a Paralympic Games?
0: It is
1: overwhelming,
0: extremely overwhelming. My 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 first games was 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 a lesson in humility and and energy regulation <laughs> from from the perspective that it's it's so incredibly humbling and infectious to be in the Paralympic village, to live in the Paralympic, the Olympic and Paralympic Village. And I get to meet athletes from all over the world competing in different sports, competing in different disciplines, and just you just get to you just get to mix with the world, right? And it is it's an amazing and incredible collection of just individuals, regardless of athleticism and physicality or not. Just amazing individuals from every corner of the planet that just come together to share their love for the power of sport, and, and that's really what it, so much of what it comes down to is is the competition is there, and 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 the 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 willingness to to fight and die for your country and, and and competition, but everybody is there because of how sport affected their lives and, and touched them, touched their lives, and and that's through the power of sport, right? And so it's it's amazing to feel that and to be in it, and then to also then try and manage it to then compete your best, right? To then to beat the best athletes in the world who are at the peak of their performance. In the peak of their career, right, and so it's 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 very intimidating from the sense that you need to handle all the emotions from the experience perspective, but then be able to deliver when it matters the most, and that's what separates the 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 cream from 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 the crop, and that's why we we as Team Jose have had the greatest team, one of the greatest teams in the world, is because we have some of the greatest athletes in the world who can. Perform at their best at that right moment, but it's, but it's it's a very it's a very overwhelming experience and feeling, just because when you go and travel and you go these things, all you want to do is absorb it, right? Like you go if you go to a foreign country when you're on vacation for for set for two weeks, right? Like you're just maybe likely you're gonna immerse yourself into that culture, into that ecosystem, into the community, and you want to feel everything, Uh, but it's really hard to do that when you have a job to do and a competition to do' it's something that's so monumental as, as a games experience and so it's for me it was a challenge in my first games but and but i also think that I, that breeds a lot of excitement to the future just because we always like we always like to think that we can do better the second time around than the first right just like a parent with their second job right i think most parents are going to say they did a lot better job with their second kid than they did with their first kid so I'm trying to I'm trying to work towards saying that my second games was better than my first
1: game. toned in. You've got thousands of people, millions of people, if not billions, of watching, like all the news. You're you're all focused on this one thing. I bet there's nothing else like it.
0: Yeah. It's intense. It's very intense. It's very intense. But there's also a sense of camaraderie to it as well, right? That there is there there is a there is a sense of, of purposeful connection amongst Amongst the athletes and amongst the competitors and everything, uh, I know that the 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 focus and and the blinding commitment is there, right? Uh, but we wouldn't be human if we didn't try and separate ourselves from those moments of 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 a focus and, and blinding you know, blinding motivation. And I think that that's kind of what creates the more like humanistic aspect of it. And and I think it's one of the reasons why I struggled so much because I didn't I didn't I didn't embrace that as much as I probably should have. Just with Trying to trying to shield yourself from everything, it, it kind of it's it very analogous to my personality, right? Is is that for so long I tried to shield myself from emotions and feelings and 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 things and life, and then once I once I opened up that that you know, that, that crack in, in that bubble, then everything just started flooding in, right? And so that's extremely it's a great metaphor also for the gains too, because it's, it's analogous to life as well, because you don't want to shut yourself off from so much that. When the door finally opens, that you just you just get flooded, and, and that can be that 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 can be just something you just kind of gotta kind of learn a little bit, and it's also a little bit what I where I find myself learning at the front moment too.
1: Well, I want to ask you then, what is your next barrier that you're trying to break through?
0: I'm searching. I'm seeking for it at the current moment. I am looking for looking for ideas because it's there's 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 a sense of there's a sense of fulfillment and accomplishment that I'd not achieved in the last couple of years, in the last year or so, in the sense that one of the things that did take me, I was referring to it before, kind of took my focus away from from sport for a few years leading into Tokyo, was I, I had this amazing realization that after becoming an athlete and after achieving achieving my goals of, of becoming a Paralympic. And making it to that to that stage and that level of athleticism sport that I, I also felt that I had some separate unfinished business. And that was that was with my education. Because of the timing of everything that I was dealing with with my life and disability and, and circumstances and medical history, I was so focused on just surviving and living life that I really, I really shut out education and really pushed it away from myself and, and rejected it for for so long and learning about that and being a student, becoming a student and, and like enjoying being a student. And so a few years ago, I decided to, that I wanted to become a student again. Um, and that was when I was pursuing, pursuing to get my, pursuing to get an MBA. And was going to the was going to the whole was going through the whole process to to reinvent myself to become to become a student and to work on my mind intellect knowledge and and and, and capacity rather than just the physical nature of, of my body and of my physicality and so that was that was something that I've been pursuing for a few years unfortunately that was something that did not come to fulfillment and success and so it's uh, it's something that I've been. Trying to trying to find the the next challenge to to reinvent myself in 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 what and which way at the moment. So I'm seeking and searching.
1: Well, I love that you are open to not knowing, to that ambiguity and to allowing it to come to you, be revealed to you, or maybe seek you out. So I wish you just the best of luck as you are moving forward, finding that, obviously working towards the Paris games. Billy, this has been such a wonderful conversation. Anything that you would like to leave with listeners?
0: I would just like to say just how much fun this has been, right? And the the, the thought behind... Opportunity has been something that just got me really excited ever since you asked me to, to to be to be a part of your to be a part of your show, and really contemplating on just opportunity, right? And and how 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 you set yourself up for success, and then and then capitalize on opportunity, right? And so I would leave with the listeners that even we we all find ourselves like in those moments, and even even for myself right now, where where you want to put yourself in in that position of success so that when the opportunity presents itself you can you can make the most of it and, and you can you can make the opportunity and so that's it's something that i have been uh, prescribing to for uh, since 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 hearing about opportunity made and so it's, it's really cool to be a part of it and and to learn from you and, and your listeners and, and to, to to go on this journey with you guys
1: well thank you for being here and if anyone would like to reach out with you either with an opportunity for you or to seek out some of your wisdom and support where's a good place that they can contact you
0: well, I would direct everybody to my LinkedIn profile under Billy Lister the third. It's a work in progress and something that I am trying to commit to further to try and explore and 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 find that next challenge and that next that next thing to to pursue and to dig my teeth into and to to become blindly passionate about and to care about nothing else in the world. And so Trying to establish my LinkedIn profile. So you can reach me on that with with any ideas or or recommendations or just reach out to to say hi. And that would be under Billy List the Third.
1: Awesome. Well, I hope that everybody reaches out and and is able to connect with you and open up some more doors. I appreciate everyone who is listening and spending time with us today. It's always good to meet up with good friends, whether they be old ones or new ones like yourself. Billy, it's just, you're such an incredible person. And so thank you again for your time today. And if anyone else has a story that they themselves have walked through or they know of someone who was once stuck and has created new opportunities, you're welcome to reach out on social media at Opportunity Made or online at opportunitymade.com. I hope that everybody serves widely, gives greatly, and take care, y'all.